Cheryl. Well, we're in our third week of Just Walk Across the Room. How many of you honestly are going to be glad when this is over because it's making you nervous? Nobody wants to be honest. But I'm sure that it does um, make us nervous when we really start to get intentional about uh, talking to people and talking to them about the Lord and about how He can change and transform their lives. Um, We talked last week about living in 3D. So let's see how well we remembered this. The first D is developing relationships. Joe studied for the quiz. The second D is discover stories. Good job. And then the third one is discern next steps. So we want to be intentional in developing relationships with people, discovering what their stories are, and then with that information, we'll be able to ask the Holy Spirit to help us discern our next steps and what we should do to reach them. You know, there really is power in a story. Um, My mom used to come to my house and uh, watch my kids uh, when they were little, and one day... She and Seth were in the house together, and Seth was misbehaving. Um, Oh, are you embarrassed, Seth? Uh, He's a good boy. He just had a moment. Uh, So he was choosing to not behave appropriately, and my mom scolded him for that and told him to go to his room for a timeout. And so he stomps out of the living room and up the stairs, and he gets about halfway up, and he yells over the banister, There is a mean grandma in this house. <laughs> well, Seth was getting his point across. He was, in all fairness, trying to warn anybody else that might be in the house that there was a mean grandma, and they should be careful. He also, to his credit... Managed to get his point across without being completely disrespectful and just saying to her face that she was mean. There's power in stories. Uh, I could listen to my dad tell stories about my Uncle Don and Dwight over and over and over and over. And it doesn't matter how many times I hear them, they're hilarious. There's power in stories. Stories can elicit happiness in us. They can make us sad. They can inspire us. They can cause us to think more deeply. I want to play a little game with you this morning. So find your little pew mate, whoever you're sitting by, or your whatever church chair buddy. Okay, have somebody that you can spout off an answer to. Okay, we're going to play word association. So Meryl's going to flash a word up on the screen. You look at the word and then say the first thing that comes to your mind, as long as it's church appropriate, to the person beside you. Okay, are you ready for the first one? Here we go. Mona. I heard a lot of leases. Anybody say Kunselman? You know, Mona Kunselman is our DS's wife. I thought maybe she would come up. Okay, next one. Ohio State Buckeyes. Vacation. I heard somebody say Bible school. I just have to say, vacation Bible school is not a vacation. (laughs) That is a lot of work, but to each his own. Okay, diet. Pet. Animal. 
Go ahead, Meryl. TV show. And last but not least, born again Christian. Ooh, that one was quiet. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could kind of somehow tabulate all of the words that were floating around the room on that last one, born-again Christian? It would be so cool if we knew what everybody said. What was the first word you associated with that term, born-again Christian? We're going to stop here for a minute. I want us to think about a few things. What do you think would happen if we flashed that same screen, born-again Christian, to a hundred different people who are living far from God. What do you think that maybe their first association would be with that term? I think we'd get quite an array of answers. And I think some of them would be positive. I would love to think that all of them would be positive But I'm a realist, and I'm in the community enough to know that not everybody's first word association to born-again Christian would be positive. What do you think some people say when they hear that term, born-again Christian? People living far from God. I've seen these videos that have been done where people just take out cameras, and they just ask Random people on the street, these same kinds of questions. Have any of you seen those? With, when they ask them, like Brian's shaking his head, yes, a lot of you are. Um, they'll just walk up to somebody and say, what do you, what's the first thing you think of when you think of born-again Christian? Well, here were some of the answers they compiled. Self-righteous. Think they're better than everyone else. Hypocrites. Weak-minded. And they keep to themselves. Now, those were only some. There were a lot of positive. There were a lot of positive words that were associated with born-again Christian. But it bothers me that these were some of the answers. Does it bother you? It should bother all of us. And it kind of makes me think, well, first of all, I wish that those perceptions weren't out there. I really wish they weren't there. But the truth of the matter, they, they are. And so I think about what, can we, what is it that we can do about that? Can we figure out a way together to kind of reverse the trend? Can we figure out a way together to give people a reason to say something different, to say something positive every time they would be asked, what do they think about a born-again Christian? Hey, and and listen, I know this is hard to hear. I don't like it either. But it's worth our attention. It's worth us kind of standing in the face of the truth and figuring out together how we can change this. And then some of us might be thinking, well, I'm not the one who contributed to people thinking that. I'm not the one who did anything to make somebody feel negative about a born-again Christian. And a lot of us probably aren't. So why is it important for us together as a group to figure out how to reverse this trend? This is why it's important. God's heart beats 
for people to find faith in him. He wants nothing more than for people to know him, to know who he is, to be led to him. That's what he desires most of all. And so whether we contributed to the negative uh, associations with born-again Christian or not, it's up to us. If we care about the same things that Christ cares about, it's up to us to try to find a way to change that perception. What I wish people would say, and I think you would agree with me, and what some people do say, is that born-again Christians are full of integrity. They're kind. They tell the truth. They're deeply concerned for the poor. And not only are they concerned for the, the poor and the underprivileged and the disenfranchised, they do something about it. I wish they would say born-again Christians are humble. They are radically inclusive of all people, despite race, ethnicity, religious beliefs. They include and love all people. I wish they would say, you know what? Those people are always taking walks across rooms to encourage people, to share the love of Christ with people, to relate to people, to engage in life with them. I wish they would say Christians love people well, like they've got the corner market on how to love people. And wherever Christ followers talk about God, they are so clear. I wish I would hear that from people. They're so clear. They're so pumped up for him. They know exactly what he did to change their lives. And they know exactly what, how he can change my life. And they, they're so interesting to listen to. That's what I wish they would say about born-again Christians. Is that what you wish for, too? Is that, isn't that kind of what we all want? I hope so. Today, we're going to devote our time to answering two main questions. The first one, how do we talk about God in a way that's full of clarity and passion? And the second, how do we convey our personal faith stories in a way that's humble and interesting? You know, for me personally, it is not hard for me to strike up a friendship with somebody. It's easy for me to get involved with people and be a part of their lives and, and you know, kind of share life with them. But if they're living far from God, and I have friends like this, it gets a little hard sometimes to figure out how am I going to leap into that conversation about Jesus? How am I really going to, in, in a way that is going to be meaningful to them, share with them what Christ can do in their lives. And I, I don't think I'm the only one that gets hung up on that sometimes. It's hard sometimes to get into that conversation. You know, stories are powerful. Words are powerful. And throughout the Bible, it is undeniable that words are powerful. Let me give you a few examples. In Ecclesiastes 6.11, it says, 
When used sparsely, meaning words, when used sparsely, succinctly, and succinctly, words carry great meaning. Psalm 119, 130 says, words can actually give light. Words can give understanding to those who don't yet understand. Proverbs 12, 18 says that although reckless words pierce like a sword, words from the tongue of the wise can actually bring healing. Proverbs 16, 24 says that pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I love the picture that that creates. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says that although a fool is consumed by his own lips, the words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. Words. They're important. Humble words. Healing words. Wise words. Gentle words. Compassionate words. Grace-filled words can make a huge difference in someone's life. Now, here's an uncomfortable question, and I say it's uncomfortable because when I was thinking about this, I thought, do I really want to put that in there? Because it's uncomfortable for me. Think about the past couple conversations you've had, either maybe yesterday or this morning. And, you know, poor Seth, he's going to get picked on a lot. Seth is... He just is in that snarky teenage age. He's a good boy, but he likes to come back at me with some, you know, some quick kind of answers with that tone, that teenager tone. You guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'm patient with that, but listen, I've been through Tanner and Megan. They have sucked all the parenting out of me. I don't have any more patience. And so guess who was coming right back at Seth with some snarky words? And so I didn't really want to ask this question. But this is one of those times I think it it behooves us to be honest with ourselves. Think about the last few conversations that you've had with other people. Were the words that you spoke... Hey, and listen, I'm not saying we should never disagree or get on our kids or, you know, each other... But true conversations that you had, were the words that you used, were they life-giving? Were they inspiring? Were they grace-filled? Or were they not? It's interesting, isn't it, that God allows such power to inhabit our words. It's really astounding power. It's scary to me how much power lies in a word and how easily they can just come out of our mouth and into the consciousness of other people. If we could find a way to use words for good in people's lives, if we could be known, Christ followers, if we could be known for being clear and humble, and succinct, and relevant, then we might just turn the tide on how people feel about born-again Christians. There's two primary areas where effective, efficient words could exponentially improve the perceptions about Christ's followers. The first is how we talk 
about God. How we explain who he is, what he's done in our lives. And the second area is how we talk about our personal experiences with God. How is it that we explain what he's done in our own lives? We have to stop and think. And and this is going to sound very elementary, but when you've been in the church for a long time, these things start to get a little bit far removed from our everyday thinking. But if somebody were to ask you today, what is God's story? Would you know where to start in telling them that? What's your story? Would you be able to share that in inspiring, grace-filled, compassionate words with others? How can, you, how can you get both of those, God's story and your story, told well? So well that your listeners walk away saying, Now, I understood that. I enjoyed that. I crave that kind of thing in my own life. How awesome would that be if after people had an encounter with us and we were able to share God's story and our story with them, that they walked away wanting what we have. That would be fantastic. If we're willing to commit to engaging in people's lives, if we're willing to commit to living in 3D, Developing relationships, discovering stories, and discerning next steps. If we're willing to do that, God will start to just blow open doors for us to have conversations with people. He wants nothing more. That's what he wants us as his followers to do. And he's going to give us those opportunities. And so when those opportunities come, we need to be ready. God's story is powerful. It's powerful. And it's our job to learn to tell it well. So let's just test a little bit of our current comfort levels with this a little bit. Let's say today, after you leave here, you come across a friend that is living far from God. And this friend walks up to you and says, listen... I appreciate your friendship so much over the years, and I really appreciate that you have not forced this whole God thing on me. But I just want to ask you something. You know, things are not good in my marriage, and um, my wife and I were thinking that maybe we should give this church thing a go. Maybe we should try this God thing out that, that you're always living But before we do that, I just wonder, what what is so fantastic about God? Why is it that you feel it's necessary to have him in your life? If someone asked you that today, do you know what you would say? You may have one shot and a very small window to get God's story and your own story into that person's life and to do it well. Do you know what you'd say? That is a wide open door. That's a door that we need to be ready to walk into. And and it makes a lot of us nervous. Some of us are thinking, I hope that door stays closed. 
because I don't want to go near that door. You know, Nelson um, Perdue once told me way back when I first started preaching, I was always worried I wouldn't know what to say. And he said, you know what? There is always plenty to say. There's always so much to tell somebody about the goodness of God. Some of us just need help with an approach. How do we get into that conversation? Kind of where do we start? And I want to show you um, a diagram, an approach, just real quick. We're going to put it up on the screen. This is brilliant to me, um, and I didn't come up with this. I wish I had of. This is called the bridge. And so the way that this works is you can, on a sheet of paper, when you're talking with someone, when that door opens wide and you're thinking, I don't know what to do, I'm not sure what to say, how do I explain this whole relationship between God and me, and how do I tell his story, and this is a great way to start. You draw the chasm. You put people on one side, God on the other. And you can talk about how, you know, people are far from God because of sin. People will try to do a lot of things to get to God. They'll try to do a lot of things on their own to make them a good person. But that all just keeps falling. You can never make the leap over to God on your own, in and of yourself. And then you you draw the cross and you say, but Christ came... And died on that cross and became the bridge for us to find our way to God. And that opens it up to tell the story of how it is that Christ transforms lives and how we can get to God now because of what Christ did on the cross. Now you think that's pretty simple. Hey, listen, sometimes that's all people need. We don't need to start at Genesis and end at Revelation. Good luck with that. Sometimes we just need to be simple and focused and succinct and just right there it is. Now, can you, could you be comfortable using something like that? I think most of us could. And it's not hard to learn and it's not hard to to draw out. I'm a terrible artist. I'm glad there's no people in that picture. But I could do that. And I think that would make sense to a lot of people. God's story is really powerful if told well. And then there's our own individual stories. How did we first come to Christ? What was it that we needed so badly when we made that decision to to be his follower? What was that experience like? What was I like before Christ? And what what am I like now that I have Christ? I I love the story of the guy in Luke chapter 5, and and this is going to be the message translation. Remember the guy who had leprosy, uh, and he went to Jesus. One day in one of the villages, uh, I have a typo there, my apologies, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to be clean. Then and there, the guy's skin was smooth. The leprosy was gone. Can you imagine this guy's story? I doubt he went home and didn't tell a soul. I think probably as he was going home, he told every person what had just happened to him. 
And he didn't have to make it complicated. It was just as easy as, hey, I was sick and now I'm healed. Christ has healed me, totally and completely healed. There's the before and there's the after. I was sick. I've been healed. I was diseased. I'm healthy. I was an outcast, but now I'm accepted. I was left for dead, but now I have a future. We all have a before and after in our stories if we know Christ. What was it like for you before you knew Christ? And what has he done? What is your after now? Have, have you ever sat down and really tried to put words to that? I didn't until I started studying this. And I thought, duh, that's not hard to do. Sit down and think about what were you like before Christ? For me, I was critical and judgmental of people. Now, I love people. Because Christ has put his love in me for people. I wasn't able to do that without him. So what, what is your before and after? Start to think about that. What can you say to people? This is how I was, but now I'm fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. We just start putting all these pieces together. It just needs to be succinct. It needs to be humble. And it needs to be true. Now there are some ways that stories can start to derail. How many of you have ever heard somebody tell a bad story? Bad story. Yeah. We all have. And being a teacher, we get this all the time. Dolly and Lori, all the teachers out there, you know. You ask, and Brian shaking his head, you ask a question about something you've just read to them, and the same kid raises his hand every time, and you know they're not going to answer your question. They just want to tell a story. And it can go on and on and on, and it's still going on and on. And all the other kids now have started wadding up spitballs and throwing them at each other because the story's still going on. You just hate to even call on the poor kid, but man, they've got a story to tell. But that story crashes and burns about 30 seconds into it. We've all heard bad stories. So there are a couple things we want to talk about that can derail our stories. Okay, so I want to review real quick. Okay, first we need to figure out how are we going to tell God's story. God's story is powerful. How are we going to tell that succinctly and effectively? And I would suggest using something like the the bridge diagram, if you're comfortable with that. And then how are we going to tell our story? What was our before and after? How are we going to tell our story succinctly and humbly and effectively without it derailing? Here are some things that can derail our story. First one is to talk too much. You know, you can say too much. We have to learn to read body language. I mean, I've been in conversations with people before, and all of a sudden, you know, they're nodding off. And I think, oh, maybe I'm boring them. Probably if they're falling asleep during the conversation. So, you know, you want to learn to read people. Are you not getting through anymore? Have they kind of shut you down? Are their eyes glazed over? Um, You know, do you need to just kind of stop? 
So talking too much can, de can derail our story. Second of all, kind of being fuzzy about the core theme. Remember, we just want to keep it simple for people. And if we keep, keep going off on rabbit trails, or we try to start at Genesis and go clear through the Revelation, the story's core theme is going to be a tad bit fuzzy. And they're not going to connect. And then we fill sometimes our stories with religion ease. Mom and I were talking about this because Mom had read the book. And um, so she was trying to write out her story. And she said it was so hard to not use our church words in there. If you're talking to someone who's far from God, do you think that using the word sanctification is going to be effective? No. Because a lot of Nazarenes, honestly, can't tell you what sanctification is. Um, so you want to think about what are those words that, that are so a part of us because we've been in church so long that other people, though, may not know. Get rid of those words. Don't use them when you're telling your story. Make it simple for people. And then this last one, if ever there was a way to make a story crash and burn, it is by using the superiority card. And, and I don't think anybody intentionally would ever do that, but we need to make sure that we're not coming off as having it all together. We're perfect now because Christ, because Christ did all this in me. I mean, my life is on track, perfection. If we start to come off that way, people stop listening because they see right through that. People know nobody's perfect. I think it's better just to be honest and say, hey, I still mess up. I, I still make mistakes. But because of God's love in my life, because of his grace in my life, and then you can finish that. So we want to be careful to keep those things out of our stories. Here's a practical suggestion for you. And, and I, I'm going to sit down and try to do this too. I was trying to do it in my head and I just didn't have time to put it on paper. But could you tell your story in 100 words or less? That's going to include your before and your after. And what are the basic things you want people to know about how God transformed your life? What are the things that they'll be able to connect with? Could you do it in 100 words or less without talking too much, being fuzzy about the central theme, using church words, religious words, and without playing the superiority card. Could you write your story out in 100 words or less? I want to challenge you to try that. Try to do that this week. Include your before and your after. Double check that you left all those things out. And then I'd like you to take it one step forward and have someone read your story. Have your spouse, or if you really want to go out on a limb, have one of your kids read your story. You know, kids, they are very uh, in tune with what other people can relate to and what they can, you know, I ask Megan a lot if I'm doing kind of graphics or flyers for stuff, hey, is this cool or is this like not cool my age kind of things. And she's able to tell me, yeah, people will like that, or no, mom, that's old, get rid of it. Um, so have your kids read your story. See what they think about it. 
Have somebody look at your story. And your pastoral staff would be happy to help you with your story. We'd be happy to sit down and help you with that. Why are we making such a big deal about being intentional with these things? Because the longer we've been in church, the harder it is to figure out a way in to talk to people who are living far from God. We lose touch with how to do that. And truly, if it matters to God, if he is looking down on this world and thinking, I need my people to go talk to these people and make a difference in their lives, if that's what his heart beats for, then it should be what our hearts beat for. And it's not okay for us to just keep sitting and saying, well, I don't really know how to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. That's really hard for me. Hey, it's hard for a lot of people. But we're giving tools. We're helping each other figure out how to do this and make an impact in the world. I spend a lot of time at the Hope Center during the week, and I had a family come in uh, on Friday. And I was so frustrated, so frustrated with this family. They're going to be homeless in about two weeks, but it's because of their poor choices that they're going to be homeless, and they have two small children. And it's so hard for me to see this stuff happen to these little kids. And as I was sitting there and I was listening to all their excuses and, you know, why people needed to give them another break and, and I was listening to their story and it was not sounding, it wasn't going together and I realized there was a lot of deception in the story and just, I could just feel this frustration and anger kind of building up in me. I just wanted to say, you realize this is all your fault, right? But, you know, that's kind of frowned upon at the Hope Center. So I took all their information. I gave them their options, which really are none, but go to a homeless shelter. And as I was sitting there talking to them, and this frustration is bubbling up in me, all of a sudden, as if he were standing in the room, I heard in my head, I died for them too. And all of that frustration just ebbed away. Is their, is their situation still frustrating? Yes. Have they made bad decisions? Yes. Are they in big trouble? Yes. But I was looking at them from my perspective at that point, and I was factoring out the fact that God, Christ, died for them too. And so no matter how frustrated I might be with them for their poor decisions, as a Christ follower, it's still my job to find a way to pour the story of God into their lives. I didn't get that opportunity that day. It, wouldn't, it wasn't the right time, place. You know, I knew that. But they took one of our Fall Fun Fest flyers with them. And I thought, you know what? I might see them next weekend. Some of you might see them next weekend. And that might be the door that God opens for somebody here, or maybe myself even, to tell them the powerful story of God. 
and how he could transform their lives. And if anybody needs to hear that story, it's that family. That's why we're making such a big deal about this. That's why we're taking the time to teach and to give give you practical strategies for entering into conversations with people. Because that, those kind of people, the people who are living far from God, are the majority, not the minority. And so it's up to us to find a way to engage in their lives and tell them this beautiful story of God and how he's transformed our lives. So um, I hope that you all will be part of a small group this week because we are, we are all intentionally teaching in our small groups um, more strategies for this. We have some great videos um, that, that go with these and kind of help explain some of these things more. There's a small group that meets on Tuesday here in the well at 6.30. You can come and be a part of that. You can come to Wednesday night. We're doing, we're doing that on Wednesday nights. Joe's got a small group running on Sunday nights. Um, just jump in, at least so that you can get some deeper teaching on some of this stuff. But let's always keep in mind that as, as uncomfortable sometimes as it makes us, there's a reason we need to do it. And it has every bit to do with the fact that Christ came and died for us. He transformed my life. He transformed your life. And there are many more out there that need transformed And we are the vehicle to help get that information to them. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for challenging us. Lord, we thank you for pressing upon our hearts the needs of lost people that are all around us. Lord, I pray that you would just give us First of all, a real sense of those lost people and how much that breaks your heart. I pray that you would help us to see them as you see them, as as people um, that you sent your son to die for. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness and courage, that you would give us uh, the tools that we need to start to build relationships with these people and start to tell them of your powerful story. Lord, we just pray that you'll begin to prepare the hearts of those that may come through our doors next Saturday. And we pray that you'll prepare us to be ready to engage them, to welcome them, to love them, and to show them Christ in every way that we can. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.